Welcome to This One Life. Today on the show, Jody Milton and Reese Stockhausen. Jody and Reese are relationship and intimacy coaches, bloggers, and co-creators of Practical Intimacy. Since 10 years, they've helped hundreds of couples and over 1 million readers to have the best relationship possible, all while traveling full-time and running a business together as a married couple. They are relationship experts who not only preach, but walk their talk. This is part one of our conversation. We talk about emotional intimacy in relationships, what this is, why it's so crucial for a healthy relationship as well as a great sex life, what the three main reasons are you lost it, a surprising way to identify if it's missing in your relationship, and the most powerful strategies to build it. Also, how to avoid the trap of becoming weak and dependent while creating emotional intimacy. Enjoy. Jody, Reese, you have coached hundreds of couples and spent thousands and thousands of hours within this broader area or topic. What were some of the most extreme or surprising things you heard or dealt with in the last six months? Surprising things we've heard or dealt with in the last six months. Assuming that you've heard already a lot, so the bar is pretty high to surprise you or to be on your radar of being extreme. Yeah, there's not much that's a surprise after 10 years of doing this work. I think maybe one of the most heartbreaking things that we see like time and time again is really just the level of like disconnection that couples face on a day-to-day -day level in their relationships and in their marriage just the level of like misunderstanding, not getting one another and really feeling like separated alone in the context of a relationship. Mm. I think what I find surprising still is how much stigma there is around working on your relationship. Mm. Like other areas of your life, it's fine to get a personal trainer if you want to get stronger in the gym. It's fine even to hire someone maybe in your personal development goals, but there's still so much stigma about working on your relationship. People often think that it should just happen naturally, and yet they recognize in every other area of their life, it's okay to set goals and work on things and have intentions. And so I think it's amazing that we still see so much resistance and so much stigma around that in, in the realm of relationships. It is crazy to think about how much effort you put into your job, how to advance your job, how to be good in, in your job, how to not lose your job, how much effort you put into your fitness routine, thinking about the new stuff that you want to try, the nutrition that you want to change, how much effort I put into my tennis practice, okay? Even <laughs> thinking about this in the evening, in my bed, what can I do to improve my serve? And then a relationship or marriage, which is some or likely the most important thing in your life when it comes to not just happiness, financial success, and all of these kind of things, you just assume it happens. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with romance. It's somehow unromantic or unsexy to have to work on your relationship. There's this old paradigm that relationships should just work. And again, I think that's this unhelpful romantic ideal that relationships should just happen. And I think 
addressing that, changing that, and rather seeing it as, no, a great relationship is something that you build just the same as anything else you want to build in your life really helps you to actually have a a more successful, more satisfying relationship. What are some of the situations or days where you are on an emotional high after going through a coaching session? Seeing couples connect and really feel each other and see each other and understand each other, perhaps for the first time in years, is really why we do what we do. We don't just teach the theory of relationships, the theory of emotional intimacy and how to connect. One of the things that we're really passionate about doing within our coaching with couples is to facilitate that experience of having that emotional intimacy and connection. So when we're able to do that, when couples are able to move through a lot of their old unhelpful conflicts and communication techniques and really get that felt visceral sense of, oh my God, there you are and here I am and here we are together. It's a moment of magic where there's just, you can feel it, you can sense it, you know they're in it. We're right there with it, with them in it as well. And it's beautiful. It's so special. Yeah. When couples get to this moment that you've described, on average, did they have that feeling at the beginning of the relationship and they regain it? Or is that a whole new peak where they, even at the beginning, did not have that level of connection? I think most couples do have that experience. It's what kind of brings two individuals together is where they do have that shared feeling of, ah, like I'm really into this person. They seem to be into me. I feel like they really get me and I really get them. That is an experience of emotional connection. And that is the thing that, that drives couples together to bond in the first place. The heartbreaking thing is that over time, that feeling, because we don't know how to replicate it, we don't have the skills and the tools and the understanding to really prioritize that and make that happen life just creeps in to everyday relationships. The busyness, the to-do list, work, the kids, all of the things that need taking care of. Over time, those things, that not prioritizing connection and not understanding that we actually can prioritize that type of connection is the thing that erodes that connection over time. So couples very much do have that experience in the beginning of their relationship. It's what we refer to as like the honeymoon phase where there's the dopamine and there's the oxytocin and there's all the feel good chemicals, the bonding chemicals that wears off. We absolutely come down from that over time. So having this experience again is almost like a revelation to couples that it is still there for them and it is still possible to have that experience. I do think there are some couples who, even in the early phase of their relationship, may not have had the skills to do emotional intimacy well. So they may have had their honeymoon period and and they may have bonded and really enjoyed that time of their relationship. Also often characterized where the sex is flowing really freely and, and things are just working. But there certainly are couples where they have more to a turbulent start to their relationship, or maybe they're long distance, or they're facing other kinds of challenges, or they just don't have the skills to create deep emotional intimacy. So sometimes we are facilitating that for the very first time for couples. And again, it's an incredible experience to see them 
on a call and to be in a, a virtual room together, watching them experience love on a deeper level than they even thought was possible. I would assume that actually a much bigger share of couples never really had it in the beginning, at least if you look at certain type of couples. For example, I'm now uh, 39, turning 40, and so some of the, my friends or some of the friends circle in, in that age, especially women who are not yet married, just want to and want to have a family. They are on a rush to get married now. And the what, what you're then looking for in your partner and the bar you set for how connected do I have to be versus do the hygiene factors work out and so on really gets lowered. And some of the, some of those relationships, I would assume that the emotional intimacy in the beginning is not that high, but maybe for the benefit of the listeners to take a step back, you say that emotional intimacy is the single most important factor for a fulfilling relationship. And so to help us get a good ground level of understanding, what, how would you define emotional intimacy? How do, and why is that the single most, this is a factor? I'll take this one. You yeah. take this one. Yeah. <laughs> so emotional intimacy is really a sense of deep connection with someone that comes from feeling seen and heard that this person really gets you, they really see you, they really understand you, and they accept you. And it's really at the heart of what we get into relationships for. And it's at the heart of the experience of love, that feeling of deep connection. Is there, so let's assume I'm, I'm a person that is not very self reflected about this thing. Are there any questions that I could ask myself about my relationship to come to a conclusion of whether there is strong emotional intimacy in my relationship? What's interesting is there does seem to be a difference in terms of men and women around like our awareness of emotional intimacy. We don't believe that's innate to men and women. We do think it's something that is socialized and taught to a large degree. As a generalization, which is a gender generalization, women tend to have more awareness around even the concept of emotional intimacy, the importance of emotional intimacy and how deeply fulfilling it can be because women tend to have had more of an experience of emotional intimacy within their interpersonal relationships. Conversely, men, on the other hand, have seemed to have less of awareness around emotional intimacy until it's brought to their attention by usually their female partners. And generally, this is because as men, we don't often have that experience of emotional intimacy with other men, with other people, which is heartbreaking to to acknowledge to begin with like that we bring men up in a culture where they don't have that experience of feeling like someone really gets them and understands them and connects with them put a man in a relationship then who has very little understanding and awareness of this concept it's almost a recipe for disaster yeah so we do generally find that when we do work with couples, there is the woman who is the higher desire partner for this emotional connection and intimacy. And so there does need to be a level of almost 
teaching and understanding for men that this is a concept, that this is something that they can experience, and this is actually something that's deeply fulfilling and enriching for them. But at the beginning, it's almost a case of you don't know what you don't know to begin with. So you, you nailed it when you said self-reflection and self-awareness, because that is an intrinsic foundational aspect of experiencing this deep level of connection with someone is that we do need to have time to reflect and to be self-aware and to figure out, yeah, what do I want from a relationship? Why is this important to me? What do I want to experience here? And then being able to develop the skills and the tools to be able to create that. Some helpful questions to reflect and self-assess or even to assess with your partner, whether or not there is emotional intimacy or if there's, if emotional intimacy is a strength in your relationship would be, do I share what's going on in my inner world on a regular basis with my partner? Do they know my struggles? Do they understand my hopes and dreams? Do they understand what I'm feeling on a day-to-day -day basis? And do I understand the same about them? Am I checking in on more than just what did they get up to today, but how did they feel about that? How do they feel about what's happening in their life more generally? What are they struggling with? Are we making time for those kinds of deeper conversations? When we have those conversations, do we feel heard? Mm. Do I feel safe to share the things that are challenging with my partner? Do we have emotional safety together? So those sorts of questions can be helpful to make you both reflect on where you're at and sitting down and talking about those questions will also help to increase emotional intimacy because you start to talk through those things themselves. Allow me to ask a specific question here, just because I do think that I know how a certain percentage of male listeners will feel when they hear this, they're likely going to have a stamp somewhere saying soft or, or something, mm -hmm. something like that. Let's just very quickly talk about balancing this emotional intimacy with a certain amount of strength and, and maybe dedication that you as a partner and especially male partners, but generally as a partner that you also want to portray or be. This is such an interesting question because we get this a lot, this idea of emotional intimacy and vulnerability on one side and strength on the other. But in reality, they're not on opposite ends of the on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So strength and vulnerability aren't different. They can actually coexist. Yeah, we the question almost sets up the proposition that yeah vulnerability is the opposite of strength and it's not like the opposite of strength is weakness so we vulnerability to begin with like it's not weakness vulnerability essentially you could explain it as like radical authenticity and radical honesty yeah so this type of open intimate sharing that we're alluding to in emotional intimacy is not just sharing, oh my God, I'm so weak, or I'm struggling about this thing, or here's my deepest fear. It can include those things. But as Jody alluded to before, it's also just the celebrating of like our wins, our strengths, but really just intimacy and vulnerability is opening the door into who we are on the inside. How much is that when you said, I think you said radical authenticity, mm. uh, how much 
is that connected to the concept of radical candor in the business world at least there there was a hype around radical candor where i give you feedback and i'm very direct about what you're doing wrong basically and the issue that i always had with the concept is that it gets very close to an excuse for being an asshole, being overly direct and aggressive. And so I think a big part of the difference between radical candor and being being authentic with a person is do you come from a place of kindness and what's your goal with that feedback? But to come back to the overall question, when you say radical authenticity, how much is that about being authentic about myself versus in a radical candor way telling the partner that's what you need to change? Yeah, you're right. I think the word radical like needs some definition there because there is a distinction in that when we use that word radical, it almost conjures up this image of like almost aggressive and posturing in our radicalness. So no, it's not that. I think warm, open and curious is a, a, a nice way to frame that in terms of personal disclosure there needs to be a, a softness and an openness and a warmth to it for it to be received well. Because if there is that posturing, that's not going to be received well, essentially. And especially when thinking about emotional intimacy, one of the core ingredients is personal disclosure, which is how am I feeling? What am I experiencing? What are my thoughts? Not here's what's wrong with you. Here's what you need to change. Here's what you need to do to be different. So in, in this context, it's less about the feedback for the other person and more about this is my inner world and here's a window into who I am. From your perspective and your experience, what are the most common challenges you've seen couple couples face in building or keeping emotional intimacy because before that conversation i had a very simplistic view on that i'm and i'm afraid that's going to turn out to be too simplistic but the very simplistic view was that hey how can the average couple even wonder why they're losing connection because not only there are these responsibilities in life piling up making a relationship often more a management inc where you know, you have to look for out for the kids and who does this, who cleans the house and all of this kind of things. But also just imagine the difference between how you behaved the time you dated, the effort you put in, the interest, the asking, the doing new things, the little gifts, the learning what your partner likes and dislikes versus relationship mode where, hey, I come home, who brings the kids to school tomorrow? Let's go to the same restaurants, the same vacation, the same bar, the same sex position as usual, the, oh, uh, no, I'm tired, let's not talk and just watch Netflix. So it just felt for me the answer is how you behave once you have a relationship is is a sad, cheap cousin from what you did when you were in, in that dating phase. And that's the answer for why uh, people don't have that emotional intimacy anymore. It's definitely a factor. Yeah. It is definitely a factor. One of the most important parts of creating a, an environment for emotional intimacy is presence. So being really present with your partner, showing up, listening to them, being curious, giving them your full attention. And I'm pretty sure even as I say that, that you're thinking ahead here and going increasingly distracted world, presence is a real challenge. We are constantly being bombarded 
with things trying to steal our attention. Attention is now one of the most important currencies. All of the apps, all of the programs are trying to steal and hold our attention. They call it the attention economy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we are struggling to be present, not just for our partners, but for ourselves. So that is a huge block to emotional intimacy. And we often hear this, a really simple block is people's phones distracting them when their partners are talking. That can create not just a lack of emotional intimacy, but genuine hurt, a feeling that your phone is more important than me. Whatever's going on over there is more important to you than me. And that can really hurt and that can really build resentment and and a lot of heartache over time. So that, yeah, absolutely is a contributing factor. I would love to go into the part of the conversation where we talk about what are some of the principles to build emotional intimacy and then what are some of the practical tips and and to-dos and how can I have those conversations. Allow me to have a slight detour first because I, I know that at least we male will be very motivated by that fact. Likely also the women, but I can talk for myself as a man. You also say that there is a strong connection of emotional intimacy to having a good sex life. So before going into the tips of how to build emotional intimacy, why is there this connection? Because what I'm trying to hope is to get people motivated. Hey, if I work on my emotional intimacy, my sex life is also going to be better again. Yeah. As a simple answer to begin with, what we've found through our coaching work and even in our own marriage is that when the emotional intimacy piece is prioritized, when we have the skills and the tools and the understanding to really know how to create that deep sense of connection, good sex is a natural flow on effect. Yeah. So emotional intimacy becomes the foundational piece upon which great sex is built. So most couples struggle with sex. Most couples in long-term relationships, especially struggle with different aspects of, of managing desire and having sex. When we focus on getting this emotional intimacy piece sorted, the sex usually sorts itself out after that. Something we know from a lot of research Women are looking for in a partner at the very top of their wish list is a partner who can be emotionally open, who is emotionally intelligent and knows how to prioritize emotional intimacy. So I think this speaks back as well to this idea that, oh, I need to be strong for my partner because that's that's sexy and that's what they want and that's what it is to be a good man. But actually the research tells us what a female partner usually is looking for is someone who can open up and who can be sensitive. What we also know is for women, that also equals a more satisfying sex life. It's easier for women to experience desire. It's easier for women to experience arousal. It's easier for women to experience orgasms if they feel emotionally connected and emotionally safe with their partner. And the more she's enjoying herself, the more he's enjoying himself, right? Mutually satisfying sex is the goal of absolutely every couple we work with. Like they they both want to be enjoying themselves. And so if you can prioritize emotional intimacy, knowing it's going to make your partner feel more comfortable and be able to reach more pleasure and more enjoyment, that's going to equal a better sex life for you as well. I would also assume on top of what you said, very practical things. So if 
I am with my partner in a flow of being able to have just conversations that go beyond, hey, how was your day and what's for dinner, then it's also more likely that I am going to be able to talk about certain wishes or desires when it comes to my sex life. It's likely going to be that that my partner is going to be more open to talk about these kind of things. I like when my partner talks about these things. I feel better than if only I have to initiate sex or come up with some ideas. And that's just a small thing, but that immediately came to my mind when, hey, if I am able to have a conversation that goes beyond this day-to-day management ink, where's a very practical way how that directly translates into the bedroom. Yeah, very true, very true. Talking about sex is one of the most important ingredients in a pleasurable, successful sex life. So if you are finding it hard to have deep, meaningful conversations outside of the bedroom, you're going to find it hard to have deep and meaningful conversations inside the bedroom. So it absolutely does open up more expression, more freedom, so that you can actually communicate openly about it. Okay, folks, so now after everyone has heard that emotional intimacy also or especially helps with your sex life, let's go back a step and say now that we've heard about the concept of emotional intimacy, the general importance for a relationship, but then also the sex life, what are some of the most important principles or strategies that couples should be aware of when it comes to building or keeping emotional intimacy for then afterwards going through some of the key practical tips mm. that we can I think talk about. to begin with like almost like on an, on an ideological level as Jody said before presence is one of the foundational principles like we can't have those deep intimate connected types of conversations if we're not present with one another. Coupled with that is this idea of intentionality. As we've said before, like life will just take our attention whether we want it to or not. That's what happens. That's really normal. That's really natural. We accept that's going to happen. But again, to create these moments of deep intimacy, we need to bring intention to giving ourselves the opportunity to create those moments, which simply means like being aware that we can prioritize this. We think about everything else that's important in your life, whether it's to do with work, whether it's to do with kids, whether it's to do with managing the household, we schedule it and we prioritize it. We intentionally put time and energy into addressing it and creating it. We need to take the same approach with our relationships and the same approach with creating emotional intimacy, just with intention, instead of just getting buffeted by life. We understand that this is important in our relationship and we genuinely make the intention to prioritize and essentially schedule this quality time where we at least give ourselves the opportunity to create that type of connection. The other principles are really interpersonal skills. So the first is what's called personal self-disclosure. So we touched on it before, this ability to share your inner world with someone, to open a window into who you are so that they can understand you, so they can really know you. 
If you don't feel like you have things to share about yourself, that really is a place to start, to spend some time journaling, maybe to go work with a coach or a therapist, to spend some time reading books, to reflecting, to reflect on who am I, what do I want, where have I come from, where am I going, so that you have something to share. Every single person is a universe and yet sometimes we can really not give ourselves credit for how incredibly interesting and multifaceted we are. So if you're feeling that way, if you don't feel like you have something to share, spend some time and actually get curious with yourself. The flip side of that is being able to hold space for someone to share themselves in that way. So being able to listen well, to not fall into the common traps of trying to fix someone if your partner comes to you with a challenge and says, here's what I'm struggling with at the moment. Here's what I'm going through. I've had this argument with a family member and I'm feeling upset about it. I'm feeling triggered and it's made me feel this. Don't jump in and go, here's what you should have said. Oh, you shouldn't have said it like that. And they're always that way. Have you tried doing this? Yeah. Have you tried? That's the one, <laughs> one biggest killer of emotional intimacy. Have you tried doing this? Fixing. You're instantly going to shut your partner down. You're going to make them feel like they shouldn't have come to you with this thing. This is probably one of the biggest challenges for couples. Yeah. When we're talking about this personal disclosure is just, yeah, jumping into fix straight away. And, you know, it really speaks to how uncomfortable most of us are with uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. And it really speaks to how we approach uncomfortable challenges in it within ourselves. If I'm experiencing a challenge, if I'm having a problem with a family member, usually the first place that we go to is how do we stop this from happening? How can I prevent myself from feeling this difficult and uncomfortable emotion? That perspective in and of itself is a huge barrier to emotional intimacy mm -hmm. because we really take the perspective that like everything's welcome. Yeah. Within ourselves, within the relationship, it's probably one of the most helpful approaches that you can take when wanting to create more emotional intimacy is that everything is welcome here. The highs, the amazing things, the lows, the really challenging things. If we can find a way to bring ourselves to ourselves and to our relationship with just that openness and curiosity and welcoming, instead of trying to fix, problem solve, avoid, get away from, that's going to be really fertile ground for that openness and knowingness of one another. Something to acknowledge is even though we say this is a trap, don't do it. We fall into this <laughs> trap, right? It's yep. so natural when your partner comes to you with a problem, you want to fix it because you love them. It if comes from a good place. It comes from a good place. Hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Let me take away your pain for you. Let me solve this so that you don't have to feel these uncomfortable feelings. So it is coming from a place of love and often it's the default and we'll do it without noticing, but you'll soon quickly find if you bring an awareness to this, you'll notice the point when your partner shuts down and that's where you, you turn around and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just trying to fix. Or you can even ask a question, do you want me to fix this or do you just want to talk about it? Once often your partner's talked about it, then at the end you can ask, hey, do you want to find solutions to this together? Do you want to brainstorm solutions? Often then they'll say, yeah, let's try and fix this together. But the first step really is to just allow and, and to listen. I feel so guilty about that. And the worst part about this trying to fix and the worst part is that 
in the business context, I am very aware of that. And most often I don't do that because you know, there, there's a very simple, it's not even a theory, but if somebody com comes to me in my role as CEO and asks for feedback or something like that, presents a plan, then I think twice whether I want to suggest something or improve something on the plan. Because A, whether it's really an improvement, TBD, but it's my mm -hmm. opinion. Okay, let's put that to aside. But the other thing is that even if the plan or something gets a little bit better, the motivation of the person on the other side drops because it's not 100% their plan anymore. And so I'm so hyper aware of that on the business side. Mm -hmm. But in, in my relationship, I fall into this exact same thing. You could almost build a habit where you could quite literally ask your partner, hey, am I here to listen? Or do you want advice from me? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a really great strategy to just have that curiosity and to offer that question and let them decide what they what would be most supportive for them. Do you have any practical tips for a couple or one person within a relationship that or who tries to improve their emotional intimacy? And now we understood these principles of presence being intentional in these interpersonal skills. But now I stand before the execution part. You know, how can I start a conversation? How do I start sharing about myself? Is there, should I time the calendar with my partner? Should I just do this while we're sitting at the breakfast table? Maybe also some big do's and don'ts. I was thinking about nagging. I think that nagging is the is, is one single most Thing that really gets me sh shut up and not wanting to share anything. I think this is a, a really good place for the example of be the change that you want to see. Yeah. So as you said, like not nagging your partner, Hey, like I need more emotional intimacy, give it to me. But instead this personal vulnerable disclosure that we're talking about that actually has nothing to do with your partner to begin with. You can be the example of that. You can be the one who opens that door, so to speak, and takes that step into the unknown to vulnerably share yourself. Of course, ideally, and ultimately, we would love that to be responded to in a, a curious and caring way, but it does take you to be the one to step into that place and, and just vulnerably share, this is what's going on for me. And giving your partner the space to respond to that or not. I think having set boundaries around particular conversations that you're having. So have every couple needs to have a management meeting where they're getting together and they're talking about the plans for the next week, what's going on with the kids, what are the important tasks that we need to divvy up, how's our finances. That conversation happens in one meet. So that when you schedule some kind of quality time, and it can be a date night, it can be 30 minutes when you first come together after your day. It doesn't have to be huge chunks of time, but that time is not management meeting time. That time is intentionally connection time so that you're not bringing in other parts of your relationship and life into this space that should really just be about the two of you connecting as humans. Would you recommend to announce 
that intention. I just feel like from my relationship N equals one since 17 years in a relationship with my wife. But if I would now suddenly start a very different behavior, I would likely announce that this is my intention and there's no pressure on your side now to react to it in a certain way, but this is my intention here. And knowing my wife, I would have to embrace for maybe in the beginning, she'll look at me and think, what the fuck? <laughs> what are you just, what are you doing here? And at least I have to expect to try it a couple of times before it's being, there's some reciprocity from the other side. It's such a good point. Absolutely announce what it is that you're trying to do so that your partner understands. Otherwise you're walking in with all this information, all of these expectations, and they don't even realize that you're, you want something from that conversation. So give them the best opportunity to show up in the way that you want them to. But I love this point that you've made about give it a few goes and expect that the person who's your, so your partner who maybe wasn't their idea, who's coming along on this ride with you, give them some time to find their ground with this. Um, you're the one who has been thinking about this for longer. You've got the upper hand in terms of feeling more comfortable in this conversation potentially. And so giving them grace while they move through their own vulnerability, their own defensiveness, their own awkwardness, so that they can actually show up and, and have these types of conversations with you. And yeah, give it a few different tries, remove expectations and, and give your partner that grace. I think that's a great idea. Great advice. I think it's important also to be like having conversations together around like how do we prioritize this really important part of our relationship and our life? What feels good for us to do together? That can include things like what we call experiential intimacy. Like, you know, a typical date night is like where, yeah, we are prioritizing this quality time together to go and have an experience for the purpose of helping us to feel more connected. So yeah, date nights are a great idea, but just even, hey, us taking a walk for 10 minutes when we come home from work is something that we can agree to do to help us to feel more connected, going out for a dinner, doing something else, like just having conversations around, yeah, how do we want intimacy and connection to feel and what are we doing to proactively prioritize that that feels good for both people because mm. you'll have different ideas around that and it's just about collaborating to find where is that overlap so it does feel good for both people some people will definitely struggle to sit on a date night and have these conversations it might feel more like an interview for them it might feel very high pressure whereas walking side by side on the beach for 30 minutes it might be much easier to open up and to share what's going on in their inner world sometimes even driving people find that they can share more about what's going on both people are like watching the road and being safe but it's time where you can actually open up without it feeling like an interview so finding other activities so that conversation can be tangential can actually be a really good strategy I like that. What do you think about uh, combining this? I have very good experience with a combination of two things. So one is you announce your intentions. We've talked about that before. But the second is also not only preparing what you want to share, but preparing questions that you want to discuss. Mm. Because if you sit down with your partner and say, hey, hey, honey, this might sound a bit strange and it's new. I'd love to 
I'd love to deepen my the connection that I feel with you and no, no expectations right now right. on towards you, but I've prepared one or two things that I want to share what's currently going on in my head. And I have actually prepared three questions to you where if you feel like that, I'd love you to answer it. And some of those questions could be, I don't know, I'm coming up now on the spot, but what makes you at night stay up and wor- what do you worry about mm, yeah. at night before you fall asleep, for example? Yeah. Something like that. Two, three questions that you don't typically do while you're having breakfast and getting the kids out of the door. Absolutely. Yeah. As Jody said before, like we, there's an entire universe inside of us. And so having these questions of, yeah, what would you like to be famous for if you could be famous one day? Yeah. It's just like ways of getting us to think about and access different parts of ourselves and just having that deep curiosity, which we often had in the beginning of the relationship when it is a new universe in front of us and we're asking questions to get to know this complex universe bringing back some of that curiosity and wonder as opposed to just, I know this person we do every day together and I know what they think about this and I know how they're going to approach that. But yeah, some left field questions to really open up different aspects of them can be a great idea. That's a really good point. The block to emotional intimacy sometimes is I already know everything about my partner. There's nothing new to learn. It's such a dangerous perspective always give your partner not just the benefit of the doubt, but this sense of wonder and curiosity and acknowledgement that they are this complex being who's also always growing and changing. I think it's if you think of how it would feel that if everyone in your life assumed that they knew everything about you and you would never changing, that would feel upsetting. That wouldn't make us feel love that wouldn't make us feel interesting we don't want to feel that way and yet sometimes we will have that perspective towards our partner and so to really Mm -hmm. challenge that and to look for the things like assume there are things you don't know about your partner yet your partner has new ideas and new feelings and thoughts and they're changing and growing and your job is to learn more about that the thought that came to my mind here and that would be a whole different episode so i'm just going to tease it but when you talk about reasons why people cheat or have have an affair in relationship it often gets very simplified in two ways one simplification is it's about sex and youth of the other person or something like that or just novelty and the second simplification is that often the one who cheated is the bad guy the bad person and of course that person did let's say the bigger bad likely and did go out and cheat there's a when you enter a relationship, there is the, it's a contract, basically. Whether it's a formal like marriage or an informal mm-hmm. like you, you don't marry but and, and you go into a relationship, but there, there's a type of contract. And there are certain aspects of that contract. And one is, for example, in most relationships, you're supposed to only have sex with that one partner. But that means that we have to take care uh, about our wishes our sexual wishes, because if we only have this one partner in order to live those wishes, and if one partner or the partnership generally is not holding up to that, then that's an an, an issue. And the other one is just because what you talked about this, I think a big part for why people cheat is it comes to sex. But for example, what you mentioned on somebody else looking at me like this new and wonderful and deep 
person that is there to be explored and that is there to be respected and and that I really want to get to know versus the feeling same old shoe that's in the closet for the last 20 years that's such a difference and keeping the relationship healthy about these aspects are likely much more important than did I gain or lose a kilogram fat over the last 10 years and also it underlines that if somebody cheats a certain percentage of the fault of that is with the other person in that relationship. It's not 100% of the fault for if somebody cheats is with the person who, who did cheat. I would go out on a limb and say most cheating and affairs come down to this lack of emotional intimacy and lack of what you described there, of like really feeling seen and heard and understood and validated and how amazing that feels. So if there's a lack of that in our relationship and someone else comes along and gives us that attention and that curiosity and that validation, that is a huge part of attraction. Yeah, what a huge part of what attracts us to someone else is their curiosity and interest in us. So yeah, <laughs> it, it makes sense that when someone shows us that we're not getting it in our primary relationship, that very easily leads to sex. Yeah. When it comes to what causes a, a partner to cheat, what we understand is it's a relational problem and it's a downward spiral. There's not one thing that leads someone to cheat, but a number of little micro actions, behaviors, or lack of action, lack of behaviors that start to compound and lead downwards. And one really big part of that, as we said, is that breakdown of emotional intimacy. And of course, both people are experiencing that in the relationship. The person who cheats decides to do something out of breaking the relationship contract. And so that's where it's the responsibility of that decision is always on that person who made that decision. And that's what's so hurtful. But in terms of healing that and overcoming that, understanding how did we get here? What was the downward spiral? What was lacking is a part of healing that. This was part one of our conversation. In part two, Jody, Reese, and I talk about managing differences in desire and libido in a relationship. That conversation starts by debunking the traditional view of desire and sex life. And what everyone gets wrong about libido, replacing it with a much more empowering model that will completely change the way you think about desire. We end the episode with two groundbreaking easy concepts that I guarantee you will lead to a more frequent, better, and more connected sex life. Enjoy.